586, Paul's problem, preached in the First Presbyterian Church on Bakerstown on Stewardship Sunday, November 14, 1971. The text, 1 Corinthians, the first four verses of the 16th chapter. Paul's first letter to the Christians at Corinth. We begin to read at the first verse of the 16th chapter. Now concerning the contribution for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that contributions need not be made when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, these people will accompany me. The Apostle Paul is known as a master theologian, an excellent preacher, an adventuresome and courageous missionary, but we seldom think of him, do we, as being not only the first, but one of the great fundraisers for the Christian Church. Now, I'm sure this may offend some of you to think that Paul was an individual who was very successful in gathering funds for the Church at Jerusalem. But the fact remains, this he was. Like every pastor and every member of every stewardship committee of every church, he realized his responsibility in helping people to find the meaning, not only for their own sake, but for the sake of God and the kingdom, of Christian stewardship. His problem, you see, was not just in raising money by using any one of different emotional schemes of ecclesiastical pickpocketing, but rather to try and show people and speak to people's hearts so that they too could know the motives for right and Christian giving. And Paul was pretty successful. And when you begin to leap through his different books, his letters, you get some insight as to how he was successful in meeting his particular problem of how to raise money for the Church of Jesus Christ. You gather pieces of information here and there, and, and one of the first insights you get is that Paul was able to raise great sums of money for the Church without ever really concentrating on the subject of money itself. Sounds like a paradox, does it not? One of the reasons that we never think of Paul as being a fundraiser, as one who is successful in getting money 
out of people into the cause of Christ is because there are so few references in any of his writings concerning money and giving. Look for yourselves. You'll find very, very few references. He, he never allowed himself to fall into that trap of becoming, becoming what we call in the ministerial profession as a money preacher. He never did. Oh, he raised the money, all right. He got people to give. But he never did it by concentrating solely on that subject which makes so many people nervous and causes so many people to cough in church when the preacher talks about it. Now, he, he almost acts as though at times he's ashamed of the topic. He acts like he's ignorant of what must be done and can be done only with money. But believe me, he was not. With the exception of perhaps the 8th and ninth chapter of his second letter to the church at Corinth, you will never hear him nor read sermons which are solely dedicated to the subject of money. Yet he was very, very successful in getting people to give to the cause of Christ. And when you look further in his letters and writings, you find that he was six successful even though he did not, like many of us in church financial campaigns today, present lists of needs and requests to his constituencies. He didn't do it. He was an individual who did not spend much time on listing and enumerating specific needs and particular requests that can be met only by money from the people of God. You see, this is where we are radically different in our exercise today than was Paul. Most churches are taught through pastors, and through finance committees, and through professional drives. But the way you get people to give is to tell them a story, show them a need, illustrate it with whatever pictures and graphs you can find, tell them the horribleness and the ugliness of it, and the people will respond. So together, our United Presbyterian Church, with every other major denomination in the land, each year spends thousands and thousands of dollars in presenting in all sorts of forms promotional and interpretive materials with the hope that if you people see them, you will automatically respond and give. Now, our church has found this to be a very successful operation. I'm talking about our United Presbyterian Church, for you know we just raised $70 million for capital improvements by using that particular technique. And other churches use that particular technique. But Paul did not. He did not present a budget to the people from whom he expected gifts. He did not enumerate, and I'm sure he had long lists and could easily have done so, 
of requests and needs that money had to answer. All he mentions are the great generalities which people already knew existed, the poor, the contribution of the saints, whatever that was, and these other things, but he never went into great detail or explanation of specific needs and requests. Why, I don't know, except that perhaps Paul knew that just giving to some particular cause or request as your heart is moved by the ugliness of a situation is not everything that is involved in Christian stewardship. That Christian stewardship is something more than giving because you have an ache in your belly or because you have some sense of sensitivity because of a feeling of obligation. The Christian stewardship is something that is given from the joy of the heart. Paul didn't preach money servants, nor did he come and pull at the emotional heartstrings of people by telling them of stories that required need and support. He could have, but from the record that I read, I can't find it. No, instead, he concentrated on speaking to the hearts of people, just like you and me. He spoke to their hearts because he knew that when you had a man's heart, you have his treasure as well. For as our Lord has said, wherever a man's heart is, his treasure is there also. He told people the message of Christ. And instead of asking people what they would be willing to give to the cause of Christ. He spoke to their hearts by continuously reminding them of what Christ had already done for them. Not what can you do for your church, but rather what Christ has done for you. He didn't talk, you see, about needs. He reminded people of their new life that they claimed in faith through Jesus Christ. He didn't talk about requests. He talked about the redemption and the rebirth that they knew in faith through Jesus Christ. He didn't talk about cash. He talked about Christ. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so did Paul lift up Christ with the promise of our Lord that if I am lifted up, I will draw men unto me. He told them about Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ who was not only the Son of God, but who was rich. Yet for our sakes became poor and climbed up upon a cross where we rightfully belong. And through whose poverty we have been made rich.
He told them about Jesus Christ and reminded them that if they were individuals who believed that they had been born again, that they had a new lease on life, a fresh forgiveness of sin, an ability the like of which they had never had before to hope and to have faith and to love. If they had the ability now to know that they could be people who did not have to live by hate and by fear and by playing all sorts of masquerading games of trying to be people that they were not, but had a liberation, a freedom, a newness of life. The ability to live life as God intended it when he placed Adam in the garden of paradise. Paradise restored. If they had that, Paul kept telling them, they had a gift from God. By grace ye have been saved through faith. And if in faith they believed that they had these things because Christ gave them to them, they were Christians. And these came to them just as they come to us. Not through our buying power, not because we are good little boys and good little girls and have earned the goodness of God. It is only for one reason. The grace of God has been given to us as a gift. A gift which we either receive or reject, but a gift for which we can respond only with our gratitude. You see, that is the only thing that you can give God for what Christ, his Son, has given to you. Your gratitude. As St. Francis of Assisi used to say, I see in all men the Christ to whom I owe everything. And Paul spoke, you see, to the hearts of these men and the women and tried to show them that this gift of God, if you have taken it and accepted it in faith, the only way you can show your gratitude is by accepting that gift in gratitude and by giving of your time, your life, your money, your all. And God knows those of us who have accepted his gift by the gratitude that we express. Not just gratitude that we express with our lips, but gratitude that goes beyond that in which we express with our lives and with our sacrifices and with our money. God loves a cheerful giver. Paul kept telling the people that. And he kept telling them, that if you are really grateful, you will give much. For he who sows sparingly, he's not going to get much in return, but he who gives bountifully shall receive bountifully. You receive in a direct ratio 
according to what you give. He made no apology for the way God looks upon people who give. And he repeats these stories that when you give, whether it be a cup of cold water to a person who is thirsty, a, a, a coat to someone who has none, a dinner to somebody who is hungry, or you go visit somebody in jail, when you do that in the name of Christ and out of gratitude for what Christ has given you in all of your richness, then it's like doing that thing unto Jesus Christ himself. God sees this. God knows what you give. God knows whether or not you've caught the message and whether or not the gratitude in the heart is really there. So Paul, you see, just kept telling people over and over again the same old thing. He kept reminding them of what Christ has done for them. He didn't mention so much what they could do for Christ as he did remind them anew, anew, and again what Christ had already done for them. And then you notice what Paul did. He became very successful, I think. We don't know to what degree, but I'm sure the money came in. Because after being true to the gospel of Christ and preaching only Christ, he expected that people would respond. He didn't ask. He didn't plead. He told the people what Christ had done for them. And then he waited and expected that the people would respond. And they did. You know, I sometimes think the weakness with the church today is that we just don't expect people when they join a church to really show up the next Sunday for worship. Or really to get involved in the organization. Now, that's for the old timers that have been here for a while. And we plead with them, please sign a pledge card and, and give. Well, instead, we should expect that they would be here the next Sunday and expect them to be involved in the church and expect their gifts. We don't expect enough. Paul did. He not only expected that the people would respond and give when they knew what Christ had done for them and were reminded of what he had done, but notice in this particular passage, which we read for our scripture lesson, he expected everyone to give systematically. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. Now, Paul knew that spontaneous and spasmodic gifts are very helpful to the kingdom of God. But he knew an individual who gave systematically according to a plan and who met that plan with regularity, that that was the individual that had an expression of lasting gratitude 
Every week he says here, you are to put something aside. That person you see every week is expressing his gratitude. And Paul expected the Christians of his day to give systematically, and not only that, but to give proportionately. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Proportionate giving. In other words, a specific amount of someone's income which he has decided upon is enough to express his gratitude to God for what God has done for him through Jesus Christ. Not just a pittance or a little bit, but a sacrificial amount. Paul doesn't mention it here, but I'm sure he had in mind the ancient tradition of the tithe. Ten percent. That's a reasonable amount to express gratitude. Because really if it doesn't hurt you a little bit, then it really isn't costing you much. And gratitude that doesn't cost something is worth nothing. In other words, Paul expected those people to suffer a little bit, to have to sit down and week by week figure out their prosperity, and then in turn to figure out what would be a quality and a worthy proportion of that particular prosperity as being an expression of true gratitude. Paul expected, and you know what? He got it. And the Church of Jesus Christ, of which we are an extension, not only in geography, but in history and in time. That Mother Church began to grow, and we are a result of it. That's the way Paul meant his problem. I do not mean to oversimplify the idea that basically this is the way the stewardship committee in the session of this church and this pastor are confronting this stewardship year. The latter part of this week, most of you it will be for next week, you will receive the newsletter of this church, and in it you'll find a letter, self-addressed envelope, and a commitment card for 1972. In that letter, which I think has been very well written, you'll find very, very little mention of money. I'm not even sure the word money is in it. Secondly, you will find no specific requests, no list of needs. If you want those, you have to go to Presbyterian Life, which is sent to you by this church. Or get out your budget, which was in last month's newsletter, or in your copy of the agenda of the congregational meeting, if you were here last week. But in that particular letter, in next week's petition, no particular lists of needs and requests. But there is a commitment card in there and a self-addressed envelope, and I'm telling you right now, we're not asking, we're not pleading, but we expect, expect 
that every Christian family in this parish that is not just playing around with Jesus Christ but has caught what it is that we've been trying to talk about through these past years and have a vision under the power of God's Holy Spirit of what it's all about. We expect a return of those commitment cards. And we expect that before you fill them out, as a family or as individuals, however the giving unit in your family is so designated, that you will think of giving in some systematic way, be it weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, but one which is agreeable to your particular source of income. And yes, we want you to suffer a little bit and with pencil and paper to figure out proportionately, proportionately, what is a fair share that really speaks of the gratitude that you have in your heart for what God through Christ has done for you. It doesn't mean you give the same amount that you gave last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but that you figure it out according to the prosperity which this year and next year God has and will be blessing you. And all I have to say in closing is that please, when you put down that figure, Just make sure it expresses your gratitude for the one and for the cause that has saved your life for eternity. Amen. Father, please help us. We lose our way through the troubles and the concerns and with all the obstacles like money that we have here in this earth. Yet we know that everything that thou hast created is good. And it's only our interpretation and misuse that makes things less than the good that you have intended them to bring. So Lord, as we think about stewardship, may we think not only just in terms of dollars and of needs. But may we think and remember with gratitude what thou hast done for us. And because of the faith that you have in us, help us, Lord, as we express with our dollars the faith we have in thee. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be with you and your pocketbook this day and forevermore. Amen.